Welcome to the Perimenopausal Mamas podcast for hormonal mamas who want to reclaim their own natural state of health to thrive and raise healthy kids. I'm Dr. Lisa Weeks, naturopathic doctor in Toronto, Canada, and I'm a perimenopausal mama to my little boy named Stuart. And I'm Dr. Tony Reed, naturopathic doctor, birth doula, and hypnobirthing educator in Calgary, Canada, and I'm a perimenopausal mama to my little girl, Frankie. Thanks for supporting us for the past 100 episodes. Don't forget to subscribe and give us a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also support us by visiting our Patreon page, where you can find out how you can join us for our monthly patron webinar, where we do a deeper dive discussion about all things perimenopause. The information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only. It is not meant to substitute professional medical advice. Always consult with your licensed healthcare provider. Welcome back, everyone, to the Perimenopausal Mamas podcast. It's Dr. Lisa. I'm all by myself today, and I'm going to share 10 ways to easily feed your kids healthy food and get them to try new things. This can also apply to adults as well. I'm recording this mid-August, which is hard to believe, and a lot of us adults and kids included have gotten off track with our eating, our schedules are irregular, with vacation and camp, we might be eating different things. So this is going to be a good reminder of ways to prepare for back to school, back to work, and just make things easier. It doesn't have to be complicated. So these are some things that I've picked up along the way as a mom and also from some of the guests we've had speak on the Perimenopausal Mamas podcast about kids and nutrition. We'll link to those episodes, but I'll go through 10 ways, 10 things you can start doing today. Um, So one thing that I love doing is making a big batch of breakfasts on Sundays. So Sunday morning, I'll make crepes for Stuart. So I can link to the recipe. I believe it's from the Roasted Root website. I've been making it for a couple years now. And sometimes I mix it up with a batch of pancakes. But it's so easy. All the ingredients go into the food processor. Eggs and almond flour and tapioca flour and almond milk and vanilla. It's really simple. I blend it up. I have two frying pans going and I fry two crepes at a time. And then I have a big batch that I keep in the fridge. And then I heat them up every morning for Stuart. He might have one or two every morning. And he's gone through phases where I've had to double the recipe because he's eating two or three every morning. Right now he's eating one. They're pretty filling and I'll have it with a bit of yogurt and some fruit. Um, But it really gets us started. We get to start the week off on the right foot. Alternatively, we'll make a big batch of oatmeal on the stove, some steel cut, slow cooked or sprouted oats. um, And we'll heat that up. And we like he likes actually the oatmeal with some flax seeds with some almond milk. Sometimes I'll sneak in a bit of protein powder on there. He likes it pretty plain. So make a big amount of breakfast you can use to feed the kids during the week. Tip number two, Stuart used to be really sensitive to sugar and chocolate. And if we gave it to him after dinner, he was wired. He had a hard time settling down and going to sleep. He got that second wind. So we started to give him breakfast or we started to give him dessert after breakfast. I know people think that's strange, but then he had time 
to burn off the sugar. He had the energy in the rest of the day to let it go through his system. Now we're not talking large amounts of sugar, but um, even small amounts he was sensitive to. Now that he's six and a half, he can get, he can usually have dessert. You know, sometimes he gets a little bit wired. Um, he can usually have dessert after dinner. Um, but sometimes we'll do this if we know we're going to have a late dinner and we're concerned maybe the sugar is going to keep him up a little bit. So that's a good strategy there. Um, tip number three. There's some foods that our kids just won't eat, or if I recommend certain liquid vitamins for kids or certain herbal teas to help with sleep, to help with digestion, to support immune function, um, if they're not going to take them as is, I usually mix them into a smoothie, like you can mix liquid vitamins into a smoothie. If your kid doesn't like avocado, Stuart got so sick of it because he ate it so much as an infant and a toddler. Different greens, you can mix those into a smoothie. Um, and in the summer, I turn smoothies into popsicles. So you can freeze them by those individual containers to make popsicles. I add some teas in there. I haven't done this for a while, but I used to make a batch of, for example, lemon balm tea to support sleep for Stuart. I'd mix it in with some fruit, whether it's watermelon, berries, maybe a bit of yogurt, maybe some banana, um, freeze it. And then that would be his snack after dinner. And he was getting support for sleep, even if there's liquid magnesium or a liquid calcium magnesium you give your kids if your naturopath recommended that. Um, that's something you can mix into their popsicles as well. So make it look a little different and they're probably going to eat it. Step number four, let them pick out a new food at a farmer's market or a festival you've gone to. It's hard because they go for what looks good and we know tastes that they probably like or don't like. Sometimes I have to bite my tongue because I'm like, you don't like this type of food or spice, but you want to get this this food or dessert because it looks good. But I try to let him get it because he may be surprised. I don't want to label certain foods as him not liking them. Um, so he usually has a few bites. Sometimes he likes it. Sometimes he doesn't. But that's fun, fun for them to experiment, to have that control because at home, typically they don't have that much control over what they're eating. Also part of tip number four is bring your kids shopping with you. So Stuart loves coming to Costco, especially when it's a time where they have all the free samples. And this is a good way for him to try new things and you can buy it if he likes it. So we were there last week and they had some pierogi samples and he loved them. So I bought them. They were frozen pierogies. You just have to boil them. Um, they weren't organic. So I try to get organic where possible, but I'm not 100% stuck on that. If it's something he's going to eat and it's different, fantastic. So I bought those. He's been eating those for the last week, among other things. But it lets them try it without any big commitment. And then you can just add it right to your cart. Um, and I also love going to Costco as well because they do have a lot of organic options. I love getting their organic eggs and strawberries. They have lots of greens baby organic carrots. They have organic whole peppers, which I chop up and give to Stuart, cucumbers. Their organic cherry tomatoes are delicious. Um, and 
most people know Costco for the snacks, but yes, they do have some good options for kids too. They have the school-friendly made good bars, um, Mary's crackers, there's gluten-free sweet potato crackers that don't have any nuts in them as well. So you can stock up for school and for your workplace too. And as a side note, even for being a parent and working from home, I often recommend that patients pack up their own lunch like they were going to go to the office, even if they're staying at home, because then they have the food that's going to nourish them. It's not just grabbing something between meetings. You can actually bring the container, if you must, to your desk and work. Hopefully you're able to take a break, but you've saved some time when you're making the kids lunches, make your own lunches. Tip number five. So this is talking about being a little picky. And a lot of times we have labels on kids, right? Oh, my kid doesn't like avocado. My kid hates salads. Um, so that might be true right now, but it can change. So I try to use the language of, okay, Stuart, so you don't like eggs right now, but you used to love them when you were younger, and you might like them again, maybe tomorrow, maybe when you're a little bit older. And then we have a conversation about different foods that I used to like that I don't like now, or ones that I didn't like that I do like now. And I even remind him of foods he used to not like, but what he enjoys now. So just knowing that your taste buds can change just opens up the world. And it doesn't just, you know, he doesn't say in his mind, oh, I'm Stuart. I don't like eggs. I'm never going to eat them again. So I learned that from one of the episodes we had with Amanda Beattie. Um, so we'll link to that episode for sure. And it's also just when you don't like a certain food, maybe talk about it that way to yourself as well. Tip number six, try not to make any foods forbidden. So I've seen this time and time again, even as I was growing up, if I had friends that weren't allowed to drink pop or eat chips, when they came to our house, when we were allowed to have them occasionally, if we had guests over, you know, it was in the house, but it wasn't something we had every day. But when those friends came over, they would be the ones drinking the two liter bottle of pop if my mom didn't stop them or eating the whole bag of chips. So when Stuart was younger, I gave him the foods that I knew were going to nourish his body and that tasted good, but I didn't give him kind of the processed foods, extra sugars, because he didn't know those tastes. And I wanted his taste buds to get used to real whole food. This was before he could talk or point out what he wanted. As he got older, and he showed interest in certain foods because his friends were eating it or it was at a party. And we'd grown out some of his food sensitivities because he used to get some rashes with certain foods. Um, but with some gut healing he and support, he also grew out of that. So when he started to show interest in having, you know, some ice cream or the piece of birthday cake or um, different candy, I would let him have it. We would let him have it as parents and explain, you know, these are play foods. So these are foods that you can have and enjoy them. But we have other foods that we eat more regularly that are more nourishing for your body. 
Um, so I really like that language. It's hard to use that language because a lot of times we say treats um, or we say junk food, but then we're labeling those foods as well. Um, but letting them enjoy them, but knowing they're only occasional foods, they're play foods, um, just opens it up. And then they have more self-regulation. So when they're older and they're around those foods, when you're not there, they're probably not going to overindulge. They're going to enjoy a mindful amount, and then they're going to eat their regular foods as well. Um, so I think that's a great strategy. And we talked about how to talk about foods with your kids with Jay Baum. Um, she's a registered dietitian, so we'll link to that episode as well. Step number seven. So as a naturopathic doctor, sometimes I find out certain kids and patients have some food sensitivities. And it doesn't mean they're going to react to that food all the time, but it means they're reacting to it right now, whether it's causing skin rashes or digestive problems like reflux or constipation or diarrhea or bloating or gas or abdominal pain. Um, yeah, skin rashes, I mentioned, even weak immunity can be aggravated by food sensitivities. Um, so as we wean certain kids off of foods for a period of time while we do some gut healing, that can be hard because kids like what they like and they're not always open to trying new things. And as a side note, we can bring those foods back in after several months of doing gut healing and see if that reaction happens again. A lot of times it doesn't. They're able to tolerate those foods, maybe not every day, but maybe occasionally. So there are strategies to figure out food sensitivities, whether it's through elimination and monitoring or doing a food sensitivity blood test. Um, but when we're making those shifts, the hard one a lot of people find, if someone is reacting to cow's milk, if a kid is getting eczema, if they're getting a lot of mucus and colds and sinus infections, um, yeah, they're getting some digestive issues. Um, we usually switch from cow's milk to goat's milk or a non-dairy milk. And that can be hard for kids because their milk is their comfort, their familiar milk. So I commonly recommend diluting the familiar milk with the non-familiar milk. So if it's cow's milk and you're switching to goat's milk, um, you might mix, you know, three quarters cow's milk, a quarter goat's milk, and over time slowly increase the ratio of goat's milk and reduce the amount of cow's milk so that it's not a big change. It's a subtle change over a week or two or maybe even longer depending on how sensitive your kid is to change and taste. So that can be really beneficial. And even if your kid is used to super sweet juice or drinks, you can use this strategy to dilute those with water. Maybe you do 75% juice, 25% water, and slowly increase to maybe 75% water, 25% juice. Um, so they're getting a lower amount of sugar. So that can be a really beneficial strategy. Tip number eight. We discovered this after getting frustrated from making Stuart's lunch kind of late at night the night before because we had to wait till he came home from daycare and the dishes were done and they were dried so we could use his lunch containers. And then we had an idea. We thought, why don't we buy double the lunch containers? So we make his lunch the day before and we may make it 
when we're making our own lunch or we're making dinner and we haven't done the dishes yet. And then we make his Stuart's lunch. Um, so you always have a container or a set of containers that you can use to prepare for the next day. So you don't have to get those lunches and snacks ready late at night or early that morning before they go to school or daycare or camp. Um, so that's made life a lot easier and trying to do the food prep for their lunches when you're already getting food ready for dinner or for your lunch the day before they need it. That can be very valuable and save you a lot of time. Step number nine, talk to your kids about what they want for lunch. What do they see that their friends have that they want to try? If they're getting occasional catered food, whether it's at a camp that they're going or at a daycare, ask the daycare providers um, or the assistants what foods your child enjoys the most out of the catered meals. And you can get a copy of the menu as well. I know here in Toronto with Stuart's before and after care in his summer camp, when he's at the YMCA summer camp, they are catered by real food for real kids. Um, and they used to actually make frozen prepared meals that they would sell at Row Farms or on their website. So we found out which meal Stuart was enjoying the most and then we would get those frozen meals and have those occasionally on hand we knew he was going to eat it and you can even try to mimic the recipe if the food is not available pre-made and frozen um, so you can look at the flavors the ingredients because they're usually listed because of various food sensitivities and you can try to mimic the recipe it might take a few tries but it's definitely worth a shot if you know that's a food your kid is eating at daycare or camp. Tip number 10, get them involved in cooking, baking, and meal prep. Stuart showed more of an interest in this when he was younger, but I still try to get him involved because if they've made something, they're proud of it and they're going to be more likely to eat it. If it's, you know, a chocolate chip recipe, if it's getting involved in making the breakfast crepes, he used to love cracking the eggs. If it's chopping, if they're at an age or you have a nice that you feel comfortable with them using, they're going to be more likely to eat that food. And they may have different stages of responsibility at different ages, but it's definitely something to consider. And I have thought about enrolling Stuart in a cooking class or a cooking camp for kids. I haven't done that yet, but feel free to share on our social media channels if you've done that and how did that work out? Did their interest in food and trying new things really get reignited after one of those experiences? I'd love to hear you share um, the outcome if your kid has that opportunity. And one thing I did forget to mention, so we've gone through the 10 tips, hopefully you found them useful, is serving a platter style meal where you have everything on a big plate. You have your protein, you have your veggies, you might even have dessert on there. And this was a strategy that blew my mind when we had um, the picky eater solution episode. We'll link to that. Rebecca, her last name's eluding me right now, um, but she gave some really great tips. And even having the dessert there doesn't make it seem, you know, like a reward for eating their foods. They can start with that, but 
asking them to try a few things on the plate and not putting pressure so they can pick from the platter, put what they want on their plate and enjoy food at their own pace and the ones that they that look good to them. So that can be a really good strategy. I still we still haven't done the put the dessert on the platter. Uh, it's something we've talked about, but I think that would be a really interesting strategy to give a try. So hopefully this will give you um, some tips to make back to school, back to work, back to the routine more easy and to expand our own taste buds and our kids taste buds too. If they see us trying new things, even if we say we don't like it, we try it again, they're going to mimic that as well. So um, always remember they're watching us and watching how we're eating as well. So now we'll move to the second part of the podcast. I'm going to share my super mom moment. So I forgot about this strategy. We used this more when Stuart was young, but turning the mundane tasks into a game, because how many times do we have to say, you know, get your shoes on, brush your teeth, put your sunscreen on um, over and over and we get tired of that or get ready for bed. So the strategy of gamifying these mundane tasks can really get them moving and get them through those tasks and make it more enjoyable so we're not nagging them. So Stuart had the idea of at bedtime the other night of playing what he called Night at the Museum. He hasn't seen that movie, but I'm guessing one of his friends was talking about it at camp. So the game was, he told me, the other person is looking, one person's looking away and the other person is behind them and they're doing something. And every time the other person turns around and looks at them, they have to freeze. Um, So I use this game to my advantage. So we've been struggling with the bedtime routine and getting Stuart to get his pajamas on and get ready for bed and brush his teeth. So I gamified those tasks. So I said, okay, Stuart, I'm going to look away for a few minutes. I want you to start getting your pajamas on. And when I turn turn around and look at you, you need to freeze. So I would do that. I'd give him time to at least progress through the task. And then I'd turn around and he'd freeze and he thought it was the best thing ever. So we're using that right now. We used it this morning to help get him out the door, get his socks on, his shoes on, etc. You know, they can tire of these games. So always coming up with new ideas, different games you can play can just make your life a whole lot easier. So that's my super mom moment. My mom a mess up. I'm sure other moms have been there too during PMS time. I was PMSing big time last week and my patience was really short. So I was not giving him enough time to get ready. I wasn't, you know, counting and telling him, okay, you have five minutes until we get ready. Okay, you have two minutes. Now you have one minute. My patience was short and I raised my voice a few times. So it happens, right? So I explained to Stuart that I was sorry that I wasn't as patient in those moments. And next time I'm going to take a few breaths and pause before I react and try to rush him. So he forgave me. And then he saw me dealing with doing something I wasn't so proud of. And we try to get him to think about ways he could respond differently if for example he you know shouted or did something um, out of a reaction that maybe wasn't the best response to a situation he didn't like so I guess it turned into a bit of a super mom moment because we're 
all, you know, not, we're not perfect. And if we can explain to our kids, okay, I'm going to try and do something different the next time, they're going to learn from that as well. And then my mama must have is our ice cream maker. I go through phases of using it. It was a gift as like a move-in gift, um, like a housewarming present. And I love it because I can make non-dairy ice cream. So Stuart does have some dairy, but Pete and I, I I have it occasionally. Pete doesn't have any dairy because of a reaction he has. Um, So I can make ice cream out of coconut milk. I've made various flavors like vanilla. Um, Today I'm going to make a peanut butter ice cream with maple syrup and coconut milk and vanilla. Um, And you actually just freeze little chunks of peanut butter and then you add that to the ice cream after and then you can add a bit of cocoa powder to the ice cream mixture. You can add, we have dairy-free chocolate chips. So I'm going to use that. It's delicious and there's so many different recipes out there. I haven't really made fruit ice cream because I don't I don't know why I just need to try that but more like chocolate vanilla and now peanut butter so it's so easy you just blend up the ingredients put them in the fridge have the part of the ice cream maker frozen attach everything together pour the mixture in let it churn for about 20 or 30 minutes and boom you have delicious ice cream that can cater to any food sensitivities and you can adjust the sugar level as well So now I'll go over what else is happening. So Dr. Tony's next hypnobirthing session for expecting parents looking to decrease fear and anxiety to support their natural instincts around labor and birth is happening this fall. So you can join her at www.hypnobirthingcalgary.com forward slash register. I have some exciting things coming up in the fall, but I won't share the details yet. So stay tuned. And if you're on my email list, check your email in the fall. So thank you, everybody, for listening. You can email us or connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. We'd love you to subscribe, leave us a review, and a five-star rating if you enjoyed this episode. You can also support us by visiting our Patreon page. Please tell your perimenopausal mama friends about us, too. So stay safe and healthy, everybody. Until next time.